Before we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, by your spirit, through the word, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead us and let them bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then we will come to the cross of Christ, to the Son of God, our exceeding joy, and we will praise you, O triune God, our God. So hear us now, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, we'll be considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to chapter 5 together. Uh, You'll find that on page 1068 of many of the Pew Bibles. Mark is the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Uh, So right there in the New Testament, and we've come to chapter 5. And so we want to read together verses 1 through 20 of chapter 5, and that's what we'll be considering this morning together. So Mark chapter 5, beginning our reading at verse 1. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, And drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. 
Well, our passage this week comes to us right after the miracle that Jesus performed in calming the winds and the storm uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This is the miracle that directly follows that miracle. Um, And we see here that no sooner does Jesus step out of the boat after sailing across the sea that he is confronted with yet another enemy of God's people. Uh, This time it is not a natural enemy like the storm. It is a supernatural enemy, this army of demons as it's presented to us. And Jesus is demonstrating by these miracles that he possesses the power over the things that confront the enemies of God's people. Jesus has power over the earthly enemies, even the nature that can sometimes rise up against his people, and God is in control of the spiritual realm. Uh, Jesus has power over the spiritual realm to be a help to his people, to defeat their enemies, and to show his power and his authority. And this is the second miracle in what will be a series of miracles that demonstrate Christ's power over our enemies and show that he has authority to put them all away. These should be an encouragement to God's people to see the power of our Lord in the face of our enemies. And as we thought when we considered the storm, as we see this series of power, we see, as one person put it, that there is a mounting sense of excitement as the authority of Jesus is tested by and proves victorious over ever more challenging situations of need. Uh, Here, Jesus is confronting, really, the armies of the devil um, and showing that he has power and authority even over these great powers. And that should be a great encouragement and hope to God's people to see the power of the Lord over the things that afflict them. And so Mark tells us this story in great detail. There's a lot more detail than sometimes Mark includes. And so we should pay attention to this wonderful story vividly told by Mark. And what do we see in this true story as Mark describes it to us? Well, first we see the affliction of the adversaries, how the adversaries afflict people. Uh, So we see the affliction of the adversaries. Second, we see the authority of the Almighty the authority of Christ brought to bear in the midst of this affliction. And finally, we see the attitude of the witnesses. How do people respond when they see this great work that Jesus does uh, to deliver this poor man? And so that's how we want to think about this story together. The affliction of the adversaries, the authority of the Almighty, and the attitude of the witnesses. Uh, This is a terrible story of affliction that we see uh, immediately confronting us. Uh, Jesus has come to the other side of the sea. That was the purpose for which they had set out in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Before the miracle with the storm, before the whole incident on the stormy seas, Jesus had expressed a purpose. Let us go to the other side. Uh, A lot of commentators in connection with that passage say, you know, we don't know why Jesus went to the other side, which is kind of a strange comment to make given the fact that Jesus comes to the other side specifically to help this poor man. The side of the sea that they're going to is a primarily Gentile region. Uh, That explains the herd of pigs that's there. Um, They're mostly Gentiles here, and Jesus goes across the sea specifically for this man, specifically for this purpose of initiating this encounter uh, with this man. We're told that no, no sooner does Jesus step out of the boat than immediately this man sees him and runs over to him. 
Um, And then Mark tells us something about the condition of this man. It's vividly described before he gets to the story of their interaction. Uh, Just the, the heaviness of the burden that this man has been subjected to by the enemies of God is told for us in great detail. First, we're told that this man is afflicted in, in, by great strength, right? The, the affliction that's upon him is so strong that he cannot be restrained. Uh, no doubt people thought he was crazy, um, did what you tried to do sometimes to people who are a danger to themselves and to other people. They tried to chain him up, tried to bind him from doing harm. And the strength of the evil that's upon him is such that even the chains are no good. He breaks out of the chains. He shakes off the shackles, um, which is you know, sort of the old-fashioned way of talking about handcuffs. He can just break them off. They try to chain him up, and, and such is the strength of the evil at work in him that he, that he cannot be restrained. Um, he shatters every time they try to bind him. He can just break off the chains and be loose again. Um, and, he's, and he's loose to just be restless. There's a sense in which this evil can't be restrained, and we see that it's a restless evil that he's subjected to. He can't find rest. He lives among the tombs. We know that tombs are really no place to live. Uh, It means that, you know, they were tombs like we see the Lord buried after his crucifixion. They were probably cut out of mountains, and so they're probably offered just a little bit of shelter for him to shelter in, but they were places where nobody wants to really hang out, and he doesn't have a place that he really dwells. He's described as a kind of restless wanderer. We notice that in verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was wandering around. Um, This evil is a kind of restlessness. He cannot find rest anywhere, and he cannot find rest from his suffering. It's a terrible description in verse 5 of his affliction. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He's always crying out. He's afflicted terribly in his soul, causing him to cry out. He's terribly afflicted in his body. He's cutting himself with stones. Now, we don't know whether this is the devil trying to do damage to him or whether he's so trying to get the devils out of him that he's cutting himself. But however it is, it's an awful condition that's described. It's an evil that can't be restrained, and it's an evil that's restless. It's a restless torment. These things are really terrible to think about. Uh, The terribleness of the affliction that he faces... And we're told specifically, this is not some form of mental illness. This is not some form of physical malady that he's suffering. This is being done to him by evil. This is being done to him by the demons. And what this is doing for us is giving us a window into how the evil of the devil works. It's terrible to think about. But we're given a window into the terrible purposes of the devil and his servants, who they are and how they work. Um, They are too strong 
for humans to restrain. That's something about what makes this sort of a frightening thing to think about. No person has the power to restrain them. Uh, They're too mighty for human beings. This is a supernatural power beyond humans' ability to deal with. And not only is it a strong evil, it's a restless kind of evil. Right? They, they make this man restless because that's really what they are in themselves. They have no home. They have no place to exist. They are restless in their evil. Do you remember when the Lord called Satan before him in the book of Job? And the Lord asked Satan, or really better, demanded from him to report what he'd been up to? Do you remember what Satan responded to the Lord? The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Satan is restless. One commentator commenting on Job said, he is an unquiet spirit. And part of the unquietness has to do with being cast out of heaven. He had a home. He was kicked out of it. He rebelled against God. And that was one of the consequences of his rebellion. Like Cain when he sinned before the Lord. Cain was cast out of the presence of the Lord and doomed to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. He was a son of the devil in that sense. That's what the devil has been done to the devil. He's been cast out of the presence of the Lord. He's a fugitive and a wanderer. And as he wanders in his restlessness, what does he do? He seeks for people to devour. He's restlessly walking around, seeking for people to devour, walking to and fro, going up and down, seeking for people to destroy, seeking for people that he can make just like him. Restless. It's an awful thing to think about their condition and their curse and their desire to bring people into their accursed condition. That's what they're doing. That's what the devil would do to the whole world if he could. Make everyone restless fugitives and wanderers. People subject to their torment and destruction. They would do it to the whole world if they could, but they can't, right? There there is good news. This is not just, it's pretty awful out there, so have a nice day, you know. Um, that's That's not the point of all of this. We have to understand the devil and how he works. We have to understand the power of the evil that's abroad in the world, but we know that that's not the only power that's abroad in the world. That against the affliction of the adversaries is set the authority of the Almighty. Um, Martin Luther was right. This world is filled with devils who are threatening to undo us. Uh, But this world is also filled with ministering angels who are on our side. We heard from Zechariah 1 this summer that there are servants of the Lord who are patrolling the earth. 
Satan described himself as going up and walking up and down and going to and fro in the world. The same word for going to and fro is when the angels are said to patrol the earth. Uh, there aren't just evil abroad in the earth. There's also ministering servants who are abroad in the earth. That should be a comfort to God's people. Of course, our ultimate comfort is not in the angels. As good as it is to know, there are angels patrolling the earth as well. Our ultimate comfort is to know that there is a God on high who is patrolling the earth. Um, the devil may say, I walk up and down in the earth, and I go to and fro in it. But the word also testifies that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro in the world. Wherever the devil goes, whatever he's up to, the eyes of the Lord are on him. That's why when he's called to report to God about what he's been doing in the book of Job, God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? That's God's way of saying, I know what you've been up to. Because my eye has been on wherever you've gone. The authority of the Almighty is always binding what the devil and his servants can do. They are always subject to the chain of God. But this is something the devils have never encountered before. Right? This army of devils that, is, that have been able to just go and work affliction and work affliction on this poor man in a, in a unique and terrible way. They're now experiencing something that they've never experienced before. They look up and from afar, they see the Lord. That's something they've not seen before in the world. They know His eye has been upon them. They know His servants patrol the world. But now what do they look up and see? There's the Lord Himself. Here now is a power that has come into the world. The Lord Himself is now on patrol in the flesh, in the world. And what they see terrifies them. Maybe we don't like thinking about devils too much because it terrifies us when we think too much about it. But this is what terrifies them. The mere sight of the Lord. The mere sight of the Lord is enough to compel them to come and throw themselves down before Him. Everything in this story is meant to show the authority and the power of Jesus over this authority that nobody could bind. Right here is a restless power that no one has been able to stop. But as soon as this restless power sees Jesus from a far way off, it is immediately entirely subjected to him. That's what the whole thrust of the story is meant to describe to us. How the greatness of this evil power can do nothing more than bow down before and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about this shows his absolute authority. This force that no one could restrain is compelled to run to him and throw himself down before him. In his presence, they shriek in terror. What have you to do with us? Right, that's, again, we, we saw that earlier in Mark's gospel in chapter 1 where the demons say, what have you to do with us? It's, it's the thing that is often said in the Bible when someone confronts someone either in combat or in judgment. 
And when you're confronting a potential aggressor, it's sort of a way of saying, please go away and leave me alone. Right? It's, it's not just that they're acknowledging that here is a superior power that's come. It's a superior power that is clearly hostile to them. They fear him. They know who he is. What have you to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They really understand that only God could save him, save them from him. It's, a, it's a, when they say, I adjure you by God. Don't torment us. Don't judge us. It's a sign of their desperation. That they recognize that here is a power from whom only God could save us. And of course, he won't. He's come to destroy them. They recognize that. Have you come to destroy us now? We didn't think it was time for that yet. All of it is meant to show his great power. That his coming means their doom. And that's important for us to consider because how does he come? What is the first thing he says? Mark tells us that all of this pleading comes within the context of Christ saying, come out from him. And this is what Mark is communicating to us. This is the good news of the kingdom of God coming to the world, that it drives out evil. It does what we can't do. The coming of this kingdom means the coming of one who can actually drive evil out of the world. The one before whom even evil is frightened. Because here is the king of the kingdom of God come into the world. Here is the great deliverer against whom they can do nothing but obey. Right? They begin pleading with him for different things. Don't send us out of the country. Send us into the pigs. All of these requests, what is it showing for us? When he says come out, they have to come out. They have to obey. But they can't even go anywhere else unless he gives them leave to go. They can't stay where they are and they can't go anywhere without his permission. That's what's being communicated to us. This is his power over evil being seen. And he allows them to go into the pigs. And the question that then immediately confronts us is why? Right? Clearly this is not a negotiation. Jesus doesn't negotiate with demons. Um, they have nothing, you know, you can't negotiate when you have no position of power. They have, they have nothing they can do but obey him. So why does he permit this? Um, that's a question that a lot of people have tried to figure out. Especially when we think about what happens to these poor pigs. And when we think about the poor farmers who are de- deprived of their livestock. And there's a lot of people that try to solve these things in, I think, kind of silly ways. And say, well, they were unclean animals, so um, they're being driven out of the land. So this is just, you know, it's kind of what the pigs deserve. Which I think is kind of a hard way to look at these poor pigs. Um, 
some people have also said, well, you know, they're all, they're all pigs, so one day they were going to be bacon anyway. This is just kind of speeding up the day. Um, well, that, that's kind of hard, too. Um, they drown in the sea. It's told in really gruesome detail. 2,000 of them. I think there are really only three things we can say with any certainty about this. Jesus permits this because it makes clear what the evil of the devil ultimately wants to do. It wants to destroy. That's all these demons want to do is destroy. And allowing them to go into the pigs makes it clear that that is what they want to do. They terrify these dumb animals and then they drown them all in the sea. I mean, you know, in the sense of the, the poor irrational animals who don't know what's happening to them. It's a public manifestation of the extent of their evil. That if they can't hurt this man, they have to hurt something else. And Jesus makes public their malice and their evil. I think it also makes public his power. It's a demonstration that this man has not been sick, he's not been insane, it's not been a a mental problem or a physical problem, this has been a, a demonic problem, and Jesus has driven them out. He has power and authority over them, and by his power and authority, he's delivered this poor man from this great evil. Those are the two things I think we can say for certain. And then there's a third, um, and that is that we have to respect the limits of what we can know. Um, I'm sure all of you are saying, well, that I'm still, I still have questions. Um, I still have questions. Um, but what do we do when we have questions? We have to recognize the supremacy of our God. Um, Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, The word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Sometimes we don't know why God permits these things. Um, Even if you could explain the pigs, someone might have trouble explaining why God allowed this man to be demon-possessed in the first place. There are no end of questions that we might bring to this text um, if we allow our minds to range freely. But what do we always need to remember? God is good. God has a good purpose in what he's doing. He knows how to bring good out of evil, and he can do that even when we can't see how he's doing that. And so it's a call for us to, when we can't understand something, submit ourselves to the God we know is good. There's no doubt in Mark's gospel Jesus cares. It can't be because he doesn't care about the lives of these animals or he doesn't care about the farmers. We know he has a good purpose even when we can't fully understand it. So I think one of the most insightful comments was made by Calvin when he said, while the reason of it is not known by us with certainty, it is proper for us to behold with reverence and to adore with devout humility the hidden judgment of God. Um, We don't know why God allowed this, why Jesus permitted this, But we know he certainly brought good in it to this poor man who was delivered. And the passage ends then with the attitudes of the witnesses, the people who witness these great events and react to them. 
Um, this causes a great stir in the region. A part, of, part of what this very public miracle does is stir up people who run to go tell people what's happened, and then all the people who come running to find out what's, gone, what's going on. Uh, this is a big event in the region, and people come to find out what has happened, and when they come to find out what has happened, what do they find in verse 15? And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Um, it might be a small thing to read that he was sitting there. But here is someone whose existence has been described as restless. He was always wandering. He was always crying out. He was always cutting himself. He apparently was always doing it unclothed. Let's see, people run to find out what has happened, and here they find this man sitting, clothed, in his right mind, with Jesus. They know this guy. It probably became proverbial in the region. Stay away from the graveyard. There's a guy there who's violent. Stay away. And here they come and they find this man completely restored. Completely whole. Completely sound. We don't want to move off of that picture too quickly. It's a beautiful picture of what the Lord has done for this man. One person described it this way. The man who neither chains nor men could restrain was sitting in a docile manner before Jesus. He who had terrified others as he ran naked among the tombs was now clothed. The one who had shrieked wildly and behaved violently was now fully recovered. And the question is, how are people going to respond to this? Respond to this great work of deliverance. They are afraid. They are afraid of what they see. And in their fear, what do they ask? They ask the same thing that the demons asked. Leave us alone. Go away. Right? They're afraid of what the power of Jesus meant. They fear his power and its consequences. Right? Maybe that's, that's the reason for the reference to, to the pigs again in verse 16. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened in the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they begged Jesus to depart from their region. They fear his power. They fear its consequences. And in their fear and their ignorance, they ask him to leave. It's a testimony to what we would all do if we were not worked on by the Holy Spirit and illuminated by him to understand who Jesus is. All we would do is fear his power, fear the consequences of it might, what it might cost for him to be around, and ask him to go. And the tragedy is, here has come one 
who's the only one who has the power over the devil. The only one who has the power to deliver. And when he demonstrates his great deliverance, his grace and goodness, his mercy to this poor sinner, their response is for them to want him to go away. How terrible is our spiritual blindness that we would ask in ourselves the person, the only person who could help, that we would ask him to go away. And we would all do that if we were not blessed with the Holy Spirit shining light on who he is and what he's done. Because the delivered man understands this completely differently. They might want Jesus to go, but this man wants nothing more than to be with Jesus. Right? Look at, look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he might be with him. The crowd begged him to go. This man who's been delivered, what does he want? I want nothing more than to be with Jesus. In this context, is probably a, a technical term for discipleship. He wants to become a disciple. In Mark 3.14, we were told Jesus chose the twelve to be with him. Um, what this man wants no more is to go and to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says, no, your commission from me is not to be a disciple. Your commission from me is to be a preacher. Go proclaim what the Lord has done for you. This man gets the privilege of taking the good news of the kingdom of God into the region that he's from, to his family, to his friends, to his city, and gets to proclaim what the Lord has done for him. That's what Jesus tells him to do. Um, He did not permit him to be a disciple, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You can't be a disciple, but you get the privilege of going and proclaiming to people, this is what the Lord has done for me. This is how the Lord has showed me mercy. And the man goes and he does that. He goes to the Decapolis, to where he's from, and he begins to spread the word about what Jesus has done for him. See how the Lord commissioned him? Go and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has showed you mercy. And we're told he went and told everybody how Jesus, how much Jesus had done for him. What is the connection that's made there? Jesus is the Lord. The Lord has come. And what has the Lord's coming meant for him? Deliverance. Mercy. That's what we understand by the illumination of the Spirit, that to meet Jesus is a meeting with the one who delivers us from evil and does it because he's shown us mercy. He's delivered us not because we deserve that we should be delivered, but because he has taken pity on poor suffering sinners and set them free. And anyone who's been delivered should see themselves in this man. Any of us who put our faith and trust in Christ and have been delivered should see our deliverance here pictured for us in this way. Again, John Calvin is so helpful 
He says, in the person of one man, Christ has exhibited to us a proof of his grace, which is extended to all mankind. Though we are not tortured by the devil, yet he holds us as his slaves till the Son of God delivers us from his tyranny. Naked, torn, and disfigured, we wander about till he restores us to soundness of mind. It remains that in magnifying his grace, we testify our gratitude. We're all slaves of the devil unless the Lord sets us free. If you've been set free, praise the Lord. If you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, know that he is the only one who can deliver you and that he's willing to deliver you if you'll put your faith and trust in him. It's a calling not to be like those who see him, fear his power, fear what it might cost, and tell him to go away. He's the only one who can set us free. He's the only one who can deliver us from the fear, from the tyranny of the devil. And if we put our faith and trust in Christ crucified, we have been delivered. As surely as this demon-possessed man was delivered from that legion, that army of demons. We have been set free. And may we follow his example and never tire of sharing the story of what the Lord has done for us and how he has showed us mercy. Because he's done for us what he did for this man. Because Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 tell us, Jesus came so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We can sit here today clothed in the righteousness of Christ, at rest, in our right minds, with Jesus, because of what he's done for our souls. Might we rest in that hope that is ours in him. As Paul beautifully puts it in Romans 8, 38 and 39, that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown to poor sinners. It's a terrible window we have in this passage into the evil of the devil and his servants. How they know no rest, and as they are restless and unquiet, they go around always seeking for people to devour. We praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he did not leave this man in their clutches, but he set him free, that he gave him rest that he restored to him what they had tried to take. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ did not permit them to continue to work evil in the country. And that even the demons testify that his coming means their destruction. So Lord, when we see evil in the world that we can't understand, when our heart breaks for the evil we see and the damage it does, might we remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again soon in glory. And that is coming, he will fully destroy all the evil in this world.
that he will hunt wickedness out of this world until he finds none of it. So that evil men and evil spirits will be able to strike terror no more. How we long for that day. And how we thank you that the beginning of that kingdom has begun already in our souls. That Christ has come and cleared the evil out of our hearts and minds. That he has restored us to his fellowship. That he has set us free from the tyranny of the devil by the sacrifice of his precious blood. We thank you that his cross meant our freedom. And that he was willing to die for us so that in his body he might hunt out death and destroy it. That he might hunt out evil and destroy it, set us free, cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its demands. That he has made a public spectacle of the enemy in his triumph. Might that be our hope? And we would not see him in his greatness and in his power and fear what it might cost to follow him. But Lord, rather would you open our eyes to see him as our only hope of deliverance. And to know that he offers himself and his deliverance to all who accept him with a believing heart. That just as this man found Jesus, Jesus is willing to be found by all who are suffering and who need him. We pray that all here would find him and find deliverance in his name and then go forth and thankfully proclaim what you have done for our souls and how you have showed us undeserving mercy in your son and brought us into right minds by the power of the spirit. Thank you for so great a salvation, Lord. Receive our thanks for it, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.